Hello, everyone. My name is George Davis. I'm part of the pastoral team at the Hershey Free Church in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And currently, we're in a series entitled Love This Book, where we're going through the storyline of much of the Old Testament. And as part of that storyline today, we want to talk about the issue of Genesis and questions concerning science. With that in mind, I'm joined by Dr. John Harms, who is part of the faculty of Messiah College. He teaches biology. John, thanks for joining me in this conversation. Yeah, thank you. Well, John, as we get started, just tell us a little bit about your own journey, your own academic background, as well as your mm-hmm. spiritual background. Yeah. Um, well, if we, st- we start the story, you know, um, probably at this most important, I was blessed to, to grow up in a Christian home um, with um, parents that had a, a really high respect for the inerrancy of Scripture, of, of passing that on. I mean, parents who, who lived their life um, outside of church uh, with the same integrity that, uh, you know, would have been inside where people would have seen it. Um, and so, and, 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 and a deep passion that we would share their love of Jesus. Um, and so from there, um, which is the foundation of so much of who I am, um, I, I've always loved science. If you want right. to talk about the academic side of the journey, um, in middle school, high school, I, if you wanted to find me uh, in a summer month, um, I was out in the fields uh, with, I'm not kidding, butterfly nets in hand. Um, I collected. I was that. I was that. Uh, <laughs> you were that nerdy kid. Yeah, yeah. Science, science geek. Yep, 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 yep. I loved it. I, I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and then and then moving on uh, from there and through high school, um, I loved the zoology and, and that side of animal life. And do I want to be a vet? Uh, things like that. But then I got bit uh, by the genetics bug. Uh, this idea, um, as I was starting off my undergraduate uh, career, that, uh, that you know the audacious claims that we were going to have the human genome sequenced in the next decade. Of course, we had it done well within the decade, um, and that finally we had some of these tools to be able to explain. I guess I was always asking those types of questions, and so that I, I idea um, that we could suddenly um, begin answering at a mechanistic level, you know, why cancer exists and and these things, and and uh, and then that that that's that that's where I went. I went on to uh, graduate work. Uh, that's what brought me here to Hershey. Uh, I was working um, in my doctoral work at uh, Penn State, uh, and then from there, um, full time research until God began to to work in things uh, to, uh, to help me realize uh, that it was more more than just the science. It was, it was also sharing that, and that's where I've been over at Messiah now for uh, for fourteen years, and. Uh, I'm not looking back. God, God, God's brought me to a great place. And and I know from having talked to some of your students no. that you were deeply loved and <laughs> deeply appreciated in the classroom. So I think it's fair to say you are someone who has both an interest in Christianity and, mm-hmm. and, and an interest and a love for science. Yeah. So let's begin thinking about uh, the opening chapters of Genesis. And I think it's very clear in Genesis 1 and 2 that uh, the Bible argues that God is creator. So what, what are the implications of this for how we look at his creation and, and how we approach science? Yeah, I, I love Genesis. Um, I know that's a weird statement there. I, I think, particularly as we come into this, this and wrestle with the, the first couple chapters there, um, I think we forget how radical Genesis is. Right. Um, you know, I think a lot of that, we've grown up in a culture that's strongly biased 
by a Judeo-Christian ideology, right? So this, we're saturated. This idea of a monotheism doesn't shock us anymore. Um, even the created order and things, it's just, it's so, it's so part of us. You know, you don't have to be a Christian to, to celebrate Christmas. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it pervades so much of us that now I think we look at, um, I think we, when we look at Genesis, it, it, sadly, the only shock value left to it um, is this concept of, of time, uh, that it uses this construct of, of six days, and, and, and then how do we handle that? And so, I mean, that's why I think you and I are sitting here, too, is that's, that's the shock value that we're still wrestling with. How do we reconcile that? And um, I think Genesis is, you know, you, you ask, you know, how, what, what's the implication for how we just look at our creation? It's how we even look at us. How do we look at, at what we're about, um, what story we're a part of? I mean, I think Genesis is, is the root of our hope. You know, yeah, there's that story of, of that, that eventually there will be someone who will come to, you know, to crush the snake's head. Um, that, there's that idea. But way back there is this story that we are created with, um, with purpose. It was, we are an intentional creation and uh, with, with a purpose and created for relationship. And that is so, so radical that it, cha- it changes everything what we do. But I think also that it changes... It changes our science too. I think you said that, you know, how does it change how we go about doing science? Um, and Genesis, from the get-go, I mean, th- those first words in the beginning is is radical. That's a radical claim. Um, I mean, you go back a ways. Again, I think even that is something that we now assume. Um, but you go back several decades, and one of the prevailing theories in science was that um, that the existence of the universe right. extended without boundary, right, right um, into infinity, both in the future and in the past. And that's not the testimony of Genesis, right? And, and, and to me, I mean, that's, you know, even we get into the, 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 the issue of like the Big Bang Theory. Um, and, you know, that one is one I, I, I smile at. Because when Big Bang Theory came out, right, and, 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 and you know, those of us, you know, who grew up in the church, you know, we're often, you know, at least and that's my storyline, you know, the bristles on the back of my hair. It's like, oh, how, how does that look? You know, how is that God? Um, but that whole name, the Big Bang, um, came from a, a scientist, an English astrophysicist, um, Sir Fred Hoyle, who on BBC Radio said, you know, that this whole notion of a Big Bang Theory that the universe came into being and in one defining moment prior to which nothing existed. He said it's so, it sounded so religious, he actually coined the dis, a disparaging term that he, he found it impossible to believe that the universe began at just one big bang. Right. And of course, the name stuck. Um, but from, from there, that, that, that's a radical notion. I mean, from there, the fact that even the world is created um, that it's not a god in of itself, you know, the pantheism, the Hinduism, the animisms that come in. Are you going to do science? You know, are you going to dissect something? Are you going to experiment on something to understand uh, how, uh, you know, the, the world around us if you also believe that it could very well be a god, god in, right. in of itself? Um, and then from there, just, you know, Buddhism and things, this idea that there's a, purpose, a purposelessness. Um, but no, it says there's a purpose that 
the physical world really exists. So you don't get the Greeks disparaging getting your hands dirty. You know, this idea that thought was everything. No, there's, there's a physical reality that we're called to. Um, and that the fact that it's, it's lawfully governed, I think, is a huge thing. That we, we worship a God who is a moral lawgiver. Um, and, and that it's not, as, as, as you've spoken uh, previously, um, create a, a created order at the result of capricious arguing gods that, that, you know, that are fighting, and this just happened to be a, a byproduct of that. Um, and I think what's really fascinating in the end, then, is that in all of this, it's humanly discernible. Right. We have the faculties and the powers to begin to investigate and, and search it, and we have a God that himself, that, you know, is approachable and knowable. In other words, you would, you would actually argue that scientific exploration is specifically possible because mm-hmm. of the, the reality yeah. of, of God's creation. Yeah, it's exactly. It's discernible because it's been the result of a knowing, intelligent God of the universe. Yeah. Well, let, you know, obviously, as, as we talk about this and as we talk about the reality of creation and even as you approach it as someone in the sciences, I do think for a lot of us, the, the, the questions often come back to, well, how do we, how do we reconcile um, how do we reconcile the scriptures with science? Because I think for many people, the reality is we choose one over the other. Right. I think right. for some people, the reality of modern science means we can't take the Bible seriously. For other people, the commitment to Scripture means we can't take scientific exploration seriously. And yet I think you're committed to uh, the reality that we must take both seriously. Yeah. So let's just talk a little bit about uh, you know what that looks like. I mean, what would you say to someone who doesn't really believe that faith and science can be reconciled? First of all, I would say there's a history. We, we scientists, you know, we, and we, we stand on the shoulder of giants. Right. And these are not giants who are atheists. These were giants in their fields, whether you're talking Aquinas or, or Newton or, or Galileo or, you know, or Copernicus, you know, Pascal, and the biology side, Linnaeus or, you know, Pasteur, I mean, Fleming. I mean, these were men of um, deep, serious faith. Many of them trained as theologians right. in addition. Um, to to scientists. In fact, often the way to to seminary was through through the sciences, um, and we, we trained them trained them in both first. Fortunately, right? I didn't have to do right. that, but I'm glad <laughs> other people did. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, what we see is it is irrelevant than what what the testimony is. I mean, the, the truth, the fact, whether we whether we feel it or not, these are two testimonies of one God. Right. And and so you have. You have one author, one author, two testimonies, his, his, his revealed scripture, you know, his, his word, and, and his works. And, and scripture is clear to that, too. I think this is what makes me so excited um, to be a biologist. Um, you know, in Paul, when he is exhorting uh, in, in Asia Minor, these unbelievers right. um, that are wrestling with all this, and he says, guys, you know, God did not leave himself without a testimony. And then he goes on to talk about all these things that provide for them um, in, you know, in, in, in the rain and the heavens and the crops and all that. Um, but he's even more clear um, in Romans 1.20. Now, this verse is a verse that um, even my department uh, at Messiah has come to say, this is, this is one that just we, we hold so, so near and dear. Um, this idea that not just the existence of God, but 
Romans 1.20 says literally his eternal power and divine nature. And in my way, the character of God can be discerned and be known by understanding what he has made. Um, and that testimony is so clear that he says people have no excuse. Right. And, and to me, I, I think about that, I, that idea, that concept of judgment day, of standing there and him saying, oh, someone didn't hand you a Gideon Bible. Oh, oh you, you didn't have this. But his testimony screams it. I mean, in, in the oldest writings, you know, in, in Job, you know, he's, he's, you know, ask the animals, they will teach you, Job says, as he, you know, comes back to his friends who are, you know, criticizing him and all these other things, you know, ask the birds in the sky, they'll tell you, they'll tell you. Um, so that's what, I, I love that. I love that. That's what gives me goosebumps about being a biologist, because as I go about my work, I have the incredible privilege of seeking the face of God. And and, and so we have two testimonies right. of one author. Um, the challenge with that is that both require interpretation. Now, we, we, we all know that from the science side, right? Because science is always changing and there's these hypotheses and, you know, what, what you, know, you know, kills you one day is, you know, a, a vitamin that you need the next. And there's always these changes. And whether you're trying to interpret, you know, geological strata of rock or billions of light years of light uh, coming in or, you know, genetic sequences, it requires interpretation. But I think there's where that idea of a humility to both is that uh, is that even as as we wrestle with that, we also have to realize that well, scripture also re requires right. it. You know, um, I love the fact that sometimes that I mean the, the apostles, they just flat out ask sometimes. You know, Jesus explain the parable. Right. We don't get it. Um, sadly, you know, sometimes in the rest of scripture, we don't always have someone there who goes, okay, can you explain that? Um, and so we're re we're wrestling with that, right? The years of trying to understand the Hebrew uh, versus the Aramaic and translations and 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 sort through that, but then also to understand, okay, what was the context in which it was written? What is the intent of the author? You know, and and these are these are huge things. These are things that have divided the church. Yeah. I mean, now you're talking the science thing. You know, you go into you know John six, and is it literal or is it figurative that he says you must eat of my flesh and drink of my my blood, or you have no place in me, you know, is that literal or frigative? And, you know, there is a huge denominational rift in the, in the church universal right. on whether that has to be a literal interpretation of flesh uh, at the cellular level, you know, that type of idea, flesh, flesh, um, or is it, is it a figurative word that he's, you know, okay, let's, let's wade into that. Not in this podcast. Um, we, we have to interpret. Right. And I, I do think you, you brought up a good point there, because in, in academic conversations, even among those who have a high view of Scripture about uh, Genesis 1 and 2, there is a lot, just an ongoing conversation about exactly what kind of literature is this. And right. How do we interpret it in light of other kinds of ancient literature? And so that debate is ongoing. So it's, it's definitely not a settled question. So as, as we think about... Um, Obviously, as, as we think about reconciling faith and science, clearly, I think you make this great point that, well, well God has revealed himself in both. So we shouldn't, yeah. we shouldn't presume that one has to be pitted against mm -hmm. the other. We need to approach mm -hmm. both with the reality that God is revealing himself and is making himself known. So with that in mind, as I said earlier, I think some people just easily reject the Bible because of modern science. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to someone who, in essence, says, in light of modern science, um, I have to throw out the Bible. I can't believe in God. I can't right. believe in a creator. 
I think even as we try to interpret both, right, I think what we have to understand is the nature of both. Um, and science is, science is empirical, right? Science is, is limited. It deals with the physical universe. What can be, you know, what can we experiment on? What can we observe? Um, what can be tested using scientific methods, right? Um, and sure, it's fallible, right? There's that aspect too, and that causes a lot of people to, to doubt and want to doubt it because it's fallible. But as we said earlier, you know, anything that requires human interpretation is fallible because we're fallible. Um, but I think with that, we have to remember where science operates. And, and, and science operates in the physical realm. And, and when you get into these topics of, you know, what is beyond an expanding universe, if you, you know, universe is expanding. Okay, if you were on the front end, what is expanding into? Oh, okay. When you start talking about these concepts of, of time, okay, time started ticking once there was something, before there wasn't, infinity, and, you know, this concept that before, uh, again, <laughs> before Genesis 1, or if you were an atheist and looking to science, you say, well, before the Big Bang, there's pure agreement in both of those circles. They agree on it, that it's void. It's nothing. You know, grasping that can keep you up at night. Um, but I think there is, is, is at some point, as you come into trying to, to contemplate God, you've moved beyond the physical, right? We, we believe in a God who's transcendent, but that he is, is, is not bound by this physical world. He is the creator. Um, and although he is Emmanuel, God with us, he also exists out time, outside time and, and space in that. And so you quickly run you know, to the, 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 the metaphysical, right? The beyond, meta, right. um, you know, beyond. So you're beyond the physical. And once you're there, authentic science is not metaphysical. Right, and so these questions. Um, I, I have a quote written down um, of, of Francis Collins, right, a, a committed Christian believer, um, head of the uh, Human Genome Project, um, discoverer of again genetic causes for diseases such as cystic fibrosis. Now, currently, um, head of the National Institute of Health, right. um, and a renowned scientist and committed believer. And he says, you know, science is the only reliable way to understand the natural world. He writes. Um, and its tools, when properly utilized, can generate profound insights into material existence. But science is powerless to answer the questions such as, why did the universe come into being? Right. What is the meaning of human existence? What happens after we die? End quote. I love, I love that because, you know, what is beauty? Um, sure, scientists can try to say, well, when you think beautiful thoughts, this part of your brain lights up. But what is it? You know, and, and you know, why am I here? Uh, what is the meaning of life? Um, is there a God? And, and, and for a scientist, when scientists cross that line um, of over-interpreting current scientific knowledge or the idea of that mm, I could fathom something, you know, could happen theoretically, you know, hypothetically, to support a, a metaphysical agenda, right, um, to, to espouse things like, you know, to espouse that there is no God. They do so often with what I would argue a religious fervor, and, and, and science testifies against them. They betray the very science that they are espousing because they've crossed the line. So when we think about certain, um, I would say, new atheists that have written from a scientific perspective, 
guys like Richard Dawkins, for right. instance, who's a prolific author, who's yep. argued science disproves uh, belief in God, you, you, would, you would really say what he's done is he's crossed into something that isn't science. He's right. crossed it's, beyond the boundaries of science. It is, exactly. Making his case. Yeah, so. exactly. And, God, and, and the other side is also the, the misplaced uh, motives to prove God. I mean, there's cultures uh, within, within the Christian and, and scientific community that um, are trying to do that too. And, and I, I, I love their heart. Right. <laughs> but I, it's, again, um, I don't think we're ever going to be able to prove the existence or disprove the existence of God. Um, again, the tools we have are impotent right. to, to address that. It is outside the realm in which our tools can operate. Well, let's get back to this whole idea of, of, once again, reconciling faith and science and understanding Genesis 1 and 2 in light of um, modern science. I think when, um, for those of us who are Christians, as we come to this text, uh, what, what, what would you say are the boundaries mm-hmm. in understanding how God did it as defined by Scripture? I right. mean, um, within the Old Testament Academic community, I think there's a broad realization that the, the text doesn't give us specifics on the how of, of the way God created. But what would you say are the, the boundaries that draw the line in terms of, of how we need to think about mm-hmm. the created order scientifically? I think, first of all, is, I, mean, I think the, the thing that screams first is, is he did it. Okay. Um, God exists is the testimony um, and God is one so we've eliminated you know atheism we've eliminated right. pantheisms um, and and that idea that he did it is core core to our faith um, and you know to me I, I smile at this I smile at this because we think of this in a very modern sense but this this idea that God created goes back, a couple millennia. I mean, you think that the author of Hebrews, I love this because the author of Hebrews, he's defining the concept of faith, right? right. He's con- and, and he's like, okay, I got to come up with a definition of faith. Okay, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what, and then, you know, and, and then he's like, okay, oh, wait, all right, let me put feet on that. Let me come up with an, an, an example. And he says, okay, this is what the ancients were commended for. Um, okay, what's my go to example? By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, and the what is seen was not made out of what was visible. I love the fact that, you know, 2,000 years ago, the go-to example of this idea of faith is wrestling with this question. If it was, like, intuitively obvious to everybody, it wouldn't require to some level a degree of faith. But I think when you talk about boundaries, that first boundary we can never cross as, as committed Christians is that, is that God did it. Right. He, he did it. Um, I think secondly is that he, he, he created us intentionally, right? Um, and there's that idea that um, he created us in his image, right? And we can wrestle with what does that mean to be in his image. But without going there, it's it, nonetheless, what's un, inarguable there is that there's an intentionality there. Right. Um, now, you know, I've got young kids, they do lots of things intentionally that don't necessarily have a purpose (laughs) in the things that they make, right? But 
I think there's not only an intentionality there, there's this concept of a purpose. Um, that as he created us, he created us to, to, to rule, to be stewards of his creation and, and to worship him, right? That goes back to the West, you know, Westminster Catechism there. What is the chief end of man? You know, to, to glorify and enjoy him forever. Um, but that then, it, I think that's huge. We've got a purpose there. I think the other, so I, I think those lines, the line in the sand we draw, the in, inarguable boundaries are that he did it. He, we, we are um, intentional and purposefully created. And that's huge. I think that's huge because when you look back to those who have wrestled from um, atheism and being uh, agnostics, um, you, you, you go back to Chesterton and, and C.S. Lewis and even the, the testimony of Francis Collins for a modern person. That, that wrestling often comes down to this idea of, of who am I? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Because that's what's written. That's, that's what's written in us. And, and when science can't answer that, as we said earlier, that's often a start point, which is, you know, where, where do I start? I don't know a whole lot, but what I do know is there's got to be something bigger than me. Right. There's, there's got to be something. I got to be here for a reason. Otherwise, why do I get out of the bed in the morning? Where is, again, this kind of, where's my hope? My hope's not in science. My hope is not that, you know, chemotherapy is going to, you know, uh, cure me because I'm going to die regardless, you know. Um, it's, my hope is in something bigger. And that, that is a huge thing that we can't cross. Um, I think the other one in this is that God is still active in his creation. I think that's a huge testimony in Scripture. Um, Colossians says, you know, that again, in, in Colossians 1 there, that um, all things were created by him and for him. But what I really love is, is verse 17. Um, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Right. And it's this idea of an ongoing, sustaining work. And that's where something I, I think oftentimes we get lost in too when we, we enter into this whole origins debate is we forget this idea of we, that, that, this, I, that, that the work of God is an ongoing sustaining of his creation. It's not a once and done creative work that, that he did and then he walked away from because um, that's pretty close to a deism. Of, of a god, of a, a blind watchmaker. You, you mentioned, you know, uh, Richard Dawkins in his book of a blind watchmaker. Right. Um, this idea of, you know, if you grew up in the 80s, the old Bette Midler song, God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance. That's not, that's, <laughs> that's not Christianity. Right. That's, that's not the testimony. He's there, he's active. And I think part of that also is not he's just active and sustaining in his creation, but, but that we are created for fellowship with him. Um, you know, we, we serve a God that from the beginning chapters of Genesis and walking with us in a garden of, of fellowshipping with us all the way to Revelation in that last book of, of behold, I stand at the door and I knock, I'm, you know, I'm knocking, I'm seeking you, this idea we are created for relationship and a relationship that the God, the creator God Value so highly, he believes it's worth dying for. And that changes everything about how I look at it. And, and, and so um, 
we see an intentional God and a God that is both pre-designed plan, you know, and this is that interesting right. thing as we come into time, you know, we, we talk about predestination and all these other fun things. When we solve as Christians the theology of predestination and, and, and you know, and on how he works out, you know, we see a predestination, oh, foreknowledge, done, in the past. But then Ephesians says, who works out everything. Oh, so he's doing it. Oh, wait. But I thought it was done. Oh, wait, that's present verb. He's working it out. It's a both. It's a created once and an ongoing, you mean? I think when we figure out predestination, we'll figure out the we'll origins save debate. we that for a different <laughs> podcast, okay? Well, okay, but uh, so if I'm hearing you right, you're saying, you know, as we approach kind of reconciling faith and science, um, here's some of the big boundary markers we have to put down yeah. that that God did it, that he created it with intentionality and purpose, and that means that you and I are stewards within his creation. Right. He's working in an ongoing way in his creation. But within those boundary markers, mm-hmm. I think there's there's obviously still some room for debate, and there's still oh, there different positions that uh, people take in terms of understanding right. the scientific dimension of creation. So just talk a little bit about what those different positions may be, uh, all of which I think are held by people who hold a high view of Scripture. Right, yeah. And and, and that's that first thing, is first, we, we've got to enter into this with this idea of the inerrancy of Scripture. Yes, we're trying to understand intent, we're trying to understand context in those, but um, but we believe it ultimately, it has to be true. We cannot start cutting up our Bible like a Thomas Jefferson. Right. Um, and, um, and, and, and there's a wide range of conviction on this. Um, and I think you know that when I come into this, I, I I come into it with an incredible amount of humility. I, I, I um, for me, I, I love. I'm not answering your question. I'm going to answer it in a second. Is 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 Corinthians 13? Corinthians 13, that love chapter that we all espouse and we all love to read at weddings, is not about married life. It's about mm-hmm. how do you handle knowledge, right? Um, if you've got it all figured out, you can speak multiple languages. If you can fathom all matter of mystery, right? but you don't have love as you enter into this topic, then you're just noise. Just get away from me. You're noise. Um, and yet coming into that is also these other truths of, uh, that we need to be called to humility because we, we, we look through a glass darkly, you know, a mirror, a cloudy mirror, you know, all the different translations that are so, so beautiful there. Um, and that's not to say that, that it's relativist, right? Um, that what's true for you is true for you. Your convictions right. are just as valid as my convictions. Um, no, in the end... Some of us will be wrong. <laughs> um, On a number of things. Right. Oh, yeah. Let me count the ways. Um, but that doesn't mean – so what I'm saying, you know, there, there is ultimate truth. There is – there's absolute truth. Um, we, we search for it. And as, as Paul says there in Corinthians, um, there will come a day when we will see face-to-face and we will know even as we are known. Um, so when we wade into this, I think we come into that humility that there's, there is a wide variety um, of committed believers on this topic. Um, and yes, they range. They're, uh, they're, they're, there's a wide, wide spectrum within Christian orthodoxy um, from literal translation of, of Genesis 1, um, a young earth model of a few thousand-year-old um, universe um, with a, a six-day creative process. Um, everything being created in its kinds, kind of spontaneously de novo. Um, you can modify from that to 
a old earth creative model um, that's still looking at that as de novo spontaneous kind of acts of God to create each thing in its kinds, um, but believes that uh, the the time schedule within Genesis it could be uh, more figurative or more represent representative or speak of ages rather right. than simply days. Yeah, and right. then you have people. Yeah, was it a thousand years a day? Day, you know. Okay, could, can we utilize that as a right. model of grappling with that that piece of scripture? Um, um, to then translating from that, sharing the length variable there of of an old universe or old earth um to then uh changing the the changing the mode of his mechanism from a perhaps a more spontaneous um creation of entities to a um a directed modification um a potter if you will um a, a painter putting layers on um um, a, a concept that might um, say that God utilizes even, I know this sounds weird, mutation, right? This idea of an ad- right. adaptive adaptive world. Um, when I say mutation, we often hear that as a negative, negative, right. a negative yes, word, right. but it's not, right? There's mutations that, 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 that give us um, benefits. Um, if, we, if we look, even things, you know, the, the idea of, you know, oh, what if a, a mutation crippled a muscle in the jaw? Well, the animal wouldn't be able to eat as well. Yeah, but also the leverage pulling on the skull, uh, the skull wouldn't have to seal as quickly. Well, that means it could grow more. Well, that means the brain could get bigger. So <laughs> it's kind of like that Joseph, what, 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 what you know, man made for, you know, right. intent for evil, God made for good. It's like mutations uh, can, are, can be thought of that. We can think, oh, that's a bad one. The animal won't be, oh, but wait, does that potentially open up the possibility of other new things? And so... So again, a creative process. And I think there, when we look at that line in the sand that we draw with those boundaries, we are not talking about random. We're not talking about purposeless. Uh, We're talking about a directed evolutionary process, some form of plan, a predestination in a way, right? Even an ongoing work. But a, 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 an intentional predestination, like the artist who knows, I know what I'm making, um, I'm taking my time getting there. Um, and, and, and so within that view, there, there is a wide range. There's a wide range of committed believers in that. And in the end, they are going to hold to those constants that God did it. He did it intentionally. He's continually active and is seeking us uh, in that. And, and within that, they are, like all of us, daring uh, daring to counter Isaiah, who says, which one of you can fathom the ways of God? Uh, we're raising our hand going, ooh, can I try? Can I try? Um, and, and I would say, this is not a futile thing. I know this is a little, this is important. Um, some people talk about this origins in the science stuff as just like, oh, that's a, you know, that's a distraction, Right. Um, no, I, I don't think it is because I think, as, as, as we've said, is the per- part of our purpose is to be stewards, to understand and take care of, of creation. Right. Okay. Uh, part of that, subsequent to the fall, is to also be agents of his reconciliation in this world. We are to be agents of, of not only spiritual restoration, but in the pattern of Christ uh, to bring healing, right? Um, and, and so how do we begin to do that, to, to uncover 
you know, new treatments and new disease, you know, uh, uh, to, to newer, you know, diseases. And how do, how do we, how do we understand to be stewards of this world? And so searching science is, is, is huge. And, and part of that understanding of how did he do it, that mechanistic process is important. Um, it comes down to the hallmarks of science. I mean, that's why ultimately this, this concept of an evolutionary theory, this idea of an adaptive process is so fundamental to biology that has become this underpinning of biology because it's what enables us to, for my, for, for my case, study cancer in a mouse, uh, genes that are studied in sometimes fruit flies, and we can adapt, we, we can apply that understanding to humans. Not be, and, and part of that goes back to even this concept of, of this, this relational creation uh, that, that, that ties and runs run through being so that, that knowledge can be applied. Okay, but let's come, come back to what you've been saying. I, you know, I fully agree that um, within the boundaries of Scripture, uh, there's the possibility of different ways of interpreting that, and you talked right. about the range of of where those different positions are, and I do think they're, um, they're scholars who have a high view of Scripture would agree right. to the inerrancy of Scripture that do range from a young earth, literal mm-hmm. six-day creation to those yeah. who espouse uh, a longer time frame that utilizes yeah. some degree of what we would call evolutionary process. Right. So uh, recognizing that, I still think I think for many Christians there's there's a discomfort whenever mm-hmm. we we use that e word mm-hmm. evolution or right. think about the possibility that evolutionary process could be incorporated into God's plan. So I, I know as you and I have taught you you would want to help us see there's a difference between evolution and evolutionism or there right. are a difference between evolution. Um, and naturalism. So unpack that for us yeah. just for a moment. Yeah, I think that goes back to this idea of of the of the boundary lines, um, and we talk about the boundary lines there of, of from Genesis, but um, boundary lines of science. Um, when you cross over to allowing scientific knowledge to inform and develop a worldview, when it's when it, it when it's when it transcends being a a scientific construct by which we wrestle to understand the mechanism by which God created this world so that we can be agents of his reconciliation in this world um, and to be about his work um, in, in, a, in a scientific way in, in, in there. Um, when, when we take that knowledge for those good reasons, um, and then allow it to form a, a worldview uh, that says, well, now because I can think that, that opens this door to, to now that there does not need to be a God, um, that we are uh, a random process. Um, you've, you've translated a evolutionary mechanism of a potentially long story arc of God's creative work into a religion. Right. Right. And I think you said on, on, on Sunday, this concept that we all worship something. Absolutely. Right. And I think, and, and the scary thing for that is what I would ask is, 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 is where is your hope? 
And when you want to know the difference between evolution as a theory and evolutionism, which again is a term you don't use outside the Christian church, um, I would say if you want to know the difference between those two, I would say is where is your hope? Um, because an evolutionism is a hope in science. It's a hope in mankind to surmount obstacles and be right. a, and to cure and fathom all mystery and and figure it out and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Um, evolutionary theory as a mechanism of God's creative work is simply us trying to fathom him. Right. <laughs> as preposterous as that may be. Um, and yet in the end, at the end of the day, our hope is still in a is in still in a risen savior. Our hope is not that we're going to pull our upstraps up or bootstraps, but that we can't, and that he has done it for right. us. And and that to me is that big difference. And 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 when we look at a mechanism, that mechanism of going, ooh, maybe I understand. Do do <laughs> how 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 preposterous, um, what hubris. To think that we might understand the way that God might have gone about something um, in his miraculous works. Um, okay. That doesn't change in the end. We are created with a purpose and for relationship of an, you know, with an ongoing creator. So once again, it kind of comes back to the idea that we need to approach these questions with a posture of humility. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But with that in mind, let me let me just ask you this question then. If if the truth is, um, you know, Bible-believing Christians come down at different points on this, mm -hmm. and I don't think any of us are going to <laughs> instantaneously have the ultimate answer that yeah. solves uh, centuries of debate. Right. What What advice would you give to someone who really is kind of struggling with these issues or wondering how do I how do I think about this, particularly when it is an area where uh, Bible-believing Christians disagree? If First thing I would say is don't be discouraged. Okay. And don't be intimidated that you don't have all the answers. I think the, the testimony of scripture, you, you you go back to Paul in in in, in Corinthians 13. And, and 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 what does he say there? He says, listen, I, I don't have it all figured out. Right. You know, we yes, we we know in part and we see in part. Um, there will come a day when, again, we'll we'll, we'll know. But he, he admits that we can't know it all. And I think that's okay. And there's history there. You go back. This is nothing new. The struggles we are struggling with are, are, are millennia. The early church fathers, Bede, and you go up, all, all these ones in the 300s, 400s, that, that wrote on this topic, believe different things, right? And you know, one of my favorites is, is Augustine, right? Is Augustine, yes, yeah. And because Augustine wrote, I guess, what, five or so different long treatises on, on Genesis. And he, he was convicted that it was not a literal six-day process. Right. And I love that because his reasoning is six days is far too long. <laughs> you know, and what are you thinking? Like, whoa. And that's what I need. I need... I need a God that big. Right. Um, we are we are not tying his hands to say, okay, he he worked in a long story arc or a short story arc. I need to work. I worship Saint Augustine's God. I I work I, and and serve 
a, a God who can speak a word and, and we are in existence. Right. And, and that's so powerful. So, so, so realizing that this, this debate that we've wrestled with is, is old, right? As we said, in, in Hebrews, the author there uses it as a prototypic example of defining faith. You know, the God created everything and that, that is, is his example. And so I think when, when we're coming in is, is, is knowing we don't have to have it all figured out. Um, and also, I would say, not giving into a haughty attitude that we have figured it all out. I think we're called to an incredible humility. Okay. Um, and, and with that, again, going back to that verse in, in, in Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 13, it's love. It's, it, it's love that defines us. Um, we are to not be rude. We're not to be self-seeking. We are to always protect our brother right. as we enter into these. So I think when we're coming in, we come in with, with a confidence um, with that, that we don't have to have it figured out. And I think the, the, the other advice I would use, again, is, is to watch out for snares. Okay. Um, we already said, you know, about blurring the limits of science and, and overextending that in the metaphysical of confusing um, a biological um, knowledge with um, a worldview. Right. Um, you have those. But I think the other, um, the other ones I would, 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 would caution against is, is boxing God. Okay. Into, into, into thinking that it, it's got to be a particular way. Um, it's got to be this particular way of interpretation in order for me to be happy, um, for me to just sleep at night with other aspects. Scripture is complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, in New Testament, we get into you know, the exhortation of, of, of the first Adam and the second Adam and this modeling of Christ and how does that change our influence of Genesis and time um, and does it need to be a particular way? And so we, we, we can box God in. Um, I think also in that same way as a church, um, and I, in the big church, right. not just Hershey Free, um, of, of requiring false dichotomies. Okay, of, of, such as? For me, the one that, that, that hurts me the most, um, that, that grieves me, I should say, okay. grieves my spirit, um, is, is talking with young people who say, um, I'd like to go into science despite the fact that I'm a Christian or to the person wrestling who doesn't think they can come to God or believe in, in his existence because of the preponderance of scientific evidence that, 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 that they can see with their own eyes and, 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 the, the, and that, 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 again, is, is testifying to a particular um, interpretation um, and, and, and yet being told this, again, this, this, this false dichotomy that it is reality that that is literal six day interpretation of Genesis, or God does not exist. Right. And then where does that leave them? It it leaves them sadly, as I've seen so many times, walking away discouraged. Right. And 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 I I want to ask, as in, does it have to be that? Does it does does it have to be that? Do we have the clarity of Scripture there to know that? And I think I think with that. As we wrestle with that idea of that that clarity, um, a lot of times, and this is the other caution, is justifying our, our 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 faith view using gaps in our scientific knowledge, which is often referred to as God of the gaps. Um, this idea of um, that there's because there's something I I can't fathom or, or some aspect of science that science has been unable to answer, the aha um, that proves there's God. 
Right. Uh, science can't explain why this would exist in this animal. Um, so there's the proof. Um, that's that's great, and there's and there's many authors on that that I love, and they're motivating. But when we come to to understanding and, and navigating this, um, I, I think both these ideas of this this false dichotomy and this 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 gap in our knowledge. Um, I, I come back to a quote again that I, I, I wrote and brought brought here because it's a quote again from from Augustine, um, and and he writes. Um, again, somewhere in 300, 400s AD, um, in matters that are so obscure and beyond our vision, we find in Holy Scripture passages which can be interpreted in very different ways without prejudice to the faith we have received. I think that's talking about the, the lines, right. the, the, the boundaries we talk about. Okay, okay, there's, there's that. And he says, he, he continues, um, in, in such cases... We should not rush in headlong and so firmly take our stand on one side that if further progress in the search for truth justly undermines this position, that we too fall with it. And I think, I think that's that other aspect where we go, ah, I figured it out. Well, what happens when, when someone does say, well, I've got a model that could explain that. Uh, we found a, a fossil. We've discovered a gene. And, oh, and, and when we've hung our hat, when we've hung our faith on these aspects of gaps in science, as opposed to hanging it on testimony of what's written in our hearts, um, you, you walk through, the, the authors have gone before us, um, like, uh, like a Chesterton and a C.S. Lewis, uh, a Francis Collins, uh, for a modern example, who have walked this journey and, and, and where they've come, they've, it's, it's not just the science. It's that testimony written on our hearts. Um, and it, it transcends just what we don't know. I think, so I, I think in, again, this idea of, of, of being careful, we don't box God, we don't um, justify him on, our, uh, on gaps in our understanding. Um, but I think then the other one that's that's probably um, incredibly raw to me because okay. it is it is my journey myself. So I this is part of your made, own story. Yeah, yeah. Um, is being careful in this process that as we wrestle, we do not unintentionally subscribe to God or ascribe to God a um, a character of deception, and that's where now. We transition. We transition, I guess, a little here into what what is my own journey okay. um, in in wrestling as a scientist, a scientist who I feel who has been called of God to uncompromising, um, uncompromising truth, um, to to search his creation, um, and and to do so with with care um, and fidelity. But for me, the hard journey for me was was coming up through um, through a, the, that literal translation of, of 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 Genesis, of believing it, of knowing it, and and needing that um, that, that 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 view, um, and then wrestling wrestling with God's creative testimony of coming into science and. Um, 
and for myself, wrestling with these ideas of galaxies billions of years, light years away, and they're billions of light years away in a, th- a short thousand year existence of Earth. How's the light here? Um, but he could have created that. Okay. Um, the, the rock strata, the molecular decay rates of, of atoms, the, um, the genetic the genetic story for me it was that it wasn't just like I I I I could just I could <laughs> I could explain away and go yeah it's incomplete knowledge the the fossil record maybe for me it was the genetics uh, today you know you and I can take a genetic test from a swab in our mouth and send it off to you know 23andMe um, and and ancestry.com and we can track our lineages and we can see and we can actually now in 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 these online packages come in and um, we we can find those linkages. We can do that, and we can find our shared relatives across the across the pond, as it were. Even through hundreds of years, we don't even know who they were, and yet we we know they exist. Um, and the hard thing is is seeing that, um, seeing that within the own genes that I'm sequencing in my own research, and and, and seeing that those those shared lineages and stories um, within God's genetic code. So, in other words, if I'm hearing you correctly, you would say that as a scientist, there is evidence for a lengthy time frame in understanding this process, and there is evidence for processes and, and change along the journey. Yeah. And with that in mind, we have to be careful about projecting onto God deception. Yeah, because we see that clarity in Romans one twenty that we will stand at a judgment day, Right. and there is no excuse um, for his existence. And to, to, to that unbeliever who sees that false dichotomy of either it's got to be six day or God just can't exist, to stand before that day and go, yeah, but I, I saw the fossil record and I saw the, the you know, the cosmological data of, of, of light years. I saw this. I saw the genetic information. I saw all these wealth, this preponderance of scientific evidence. And I thought that meant I couldn't believe in you. Um, that's not the testimony of Romans, right. um, and 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 so um, that that's a, that's a that that's hard. That's a, right. that's a hard thing. Um, and I remember that. I remember thinking that that some of these things, some of these facts, were all oh, they're they're the stumbling block, you know, to uh, to distract someone who is truly seeking God. Well, God says, "I'm knocking," and and I'm knocking, and I'm knocking. And if you if you're if you're seeking, you will find me. I'm I'm not playing hard to get. I'm searching for you, and I would have that none perish, but all come to not only the knowledge of me, but the knowledge of my Son. Um, and that's 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 huge, and I think, um, and that's a risk that sometimes um, we can lend into. Right. I mean, I'm not threatened by that time, that idea of time, um, a, a, a long story arc, because I, I see that even in the Genesis command uh, to his life, he okay. says, he says, multiply, you know, flourish, and go out and fill the earth and i see i see a creative process where animals and life expanding into new latitudes and new strata of this world adapting to new situations and new environments new food availability you know new new pressures as far as oxygen availability or temperature or you know uv radiation all these things and he's not created a a, a static world He's created one that can adapt to literally fulfill his command right. to go forth and fill. 
and uh, so I, I yeah I, I see that and uh, and so I, I I think yeah these 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 um, these are hard things sure. that we we navigate um, and doing so again with this this humility um, I am well aware I can be wrong and and I don't have it all figured out and I'm the first one and I think um, on this topic. Um, you know, maybe even in the discussion that we just went through, I ventured into areas where sometimes I, you know, angels fear to tread of like, oh, what? But I would also say is it's okay that we disagree um, as we come in convicted of, uh, of different things. Right. Um, we have the indwelling as Christians of the Holy Spirit who is working in us and revealing and working his purposes. Um, and that's a special thing. Um, and as Paul has said, as a church, the church universal, um, he never said that we were called to conformity. We are called to unity of right. the faith. And within that unity of the faith, what I, what I think what I'd love to say the most is, is there's room at the table. There's room at the table um, as iron sharpens iron as we wrestle with this. I don't have it all figured out. Um, and there are things that, that still rock me as I'm seeking that harmony. Um, I haven't harmonized it all. I don't have it all figured out. None of us have. We're on a journey. Um, some of us are, are in different places in that journey. Um, and a journey to seeking and searching the face of God and understanding his, his mechanistic ways, perhaps only in so much as he said that they will tell us of him and more than just that he exists, that idea of his eternal power and divine nature. I was challenged a couple years ago by a blog. I wish I knew who wrote it. My wife handed it to me. Um, it was a, a woman, a mother, um, writing a, kind of a mother blog as, as, as I re recall it. And I wish I had kept it. Because to her in her testimony, uh, one that I'm still wrestling with and, and owning and personalizing, um, I had never been challenged to say, okay, if I, if I am willing to concede, okay, a long story arc of God's creative work, an ongoing process, and one that, again, as we said, is a sustaining work as well. If I'm, I'm, if I'm willing to say, okay, let me, let, me, let me give you that. Okay, what does that tell me about the, the nature of God? And for me, I resonated with this, this woman who had wrestled with this and in her, as pouring out her heart said that for her, she was so encouraged to think about this long story arc of his creative work because she said, what I see in that is not a God that, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm loosely paraphrasing, but you know, this idea of snapping his fingers, of speaking just a word and spontaneously de novo, it came into existence. She said, I, I see a God who's, who's working and who's, who's patient and who is in a process of creating his world. And, and then she personalized and said, and, and, and what do I see? I see a God who's not expecting me to be instantaneously perfect. <laughs> and, and, and yet, and rather one who is continually working in me to transform me 
can I be so audacious to stay to evolve me, adapt me, to change me into the likeness of his son? And for me, it wasn't a scientific treatise, some brilliant scientist or theologian that rocked my world and continues to rock my world. It was a mom. Right who saw a connection that still challenges me to say, what is my science telling me about this incredible, unfathomable God that I serve? Well, you know, John, I think that's that's really a fitting place to conclude our conversation. We talked about how, as we wrestle with this, don't presume to have it figured out, how... We shouldn't put God in a box, how we have to be careful about ascribing certain character traits to God. But I think ultimately, as that last story um, illustrates, as we wrestle with this, it should bring us to a place of worship. Yeah. It, it should bring us just to a position <laughs> of awe and wonder. Yeah. Because if it doesn't, I don't think we've wrestled with this question well in terms of understanding Genesis 1, 2, and uh, the questions of science. Now, real quick, yeah. real quickly as we close, what uh, resources would you recommend for those who might want to read further on these questions? Um, I think the first one has nothing to do with science. I think in the presupposition a lot of our conversation has started with is, is God. Um, I don't think science is ever going to convince someone into belief or not, or any more than you're going to prove God or not, I I would probably start with uh, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. Uh, Just coming in, again, like a C.S. Lewis, uh, like a Francis Collins others, of just coming in and grappling first with this term of what's that testimony written, written on our hearts, and how does Scripture answer that hole, that cavity in our heart that cannot be filled any other way, scientific knowledge, wealth, or or any other thing that will leave us sure. empty. No, I agree. I think Tim Keller's book is an excellent choice. Um, and then again, for, for, for the modern person who can, um, I guess we, anybody listening to this is, um, I, I suppose just reading C.S. Lewis and those um, I think Francis Collins, again, we, we talked about him earlier, um, the uh, head of the NIH, um, wrote a, a, a fantastic book, um, The Language of God. Right. And for, for that, uh, part of it is his journey uh, of realizing that for a while he was an agnostic, and then he realized um, that's no place for a scientist. Right. <laughs> On the fence is not, <laughs> is not a justifiable position. And then he wades into that. Um, and and grapples with that, um, and and then and then does try to unfold some of the different views that um, that again within within uh, both within Christian Orthodoxy as well as the whole spectrum of those then who would not subscribe to God. What are the views that you can have, and, and kind of compare right. them um, there? It's it's not an evangelical book. Um, to say at the end, um, oh, wow, that's, wow, he really uh, preached the truth of Christ. That wasn't his purpose there. Um, it's more of a scientific handling right. on this topic of his, his testimony, his walk. Um, and I think, I think it's fantastic there. Um, some of the quotes I mentioned today, I, I kind of pulled, I've not read, uh, full disclosure, the works of St. Augustine. Um, I, I stand on, <laughs> stand on the, the, 
the shoulder of giants like Collins as well. Um, and then there's other books. Um, uh, Gerald Rao um, wrote um, Mapping the Origins Debate, uh, Six Models uh, of the Beginning of Everything. And again, it's a fairly even handling, um, fair to try to, to wade into these uh, without an agenda to just kind of open and, um, and, and start the conversation. Okay. Um, and again, there's, there's a whole bunch. Um, one of them that we've used for years uh, at, at Messiah even, uh, Richard Wright, uh, Biology Through the Eyes of Faith, um, just allows, again, another richer feeling of, of, um, of understanding. Um, perhaps also that idea that we don't have to be fearful, um, the, the, the glory and, and the worship, um, the incredible joy, um, again, in, as a scientist, to, to know that as, as, we, as we do this sciencey, geeky, nerdy stuff, um, we have an opportunity to, again, to learn a lot about who we are, but who has made us. Well, John, we'll attach the uh, references to those various resources to this podcast. And I just want to thank you again. First, just thank you for your time and for this conversation. But I also want to thank you for your heart, your, your commitment to being a, a follower of Christ who is using his gifts and abilities in the field of science. So thank you so much for this conversation. And thank you for helping us understand a little bit more clearly how to wrestle with the issues of Genesis 1 and 2 and science.